Alright, well welcome everybody. There may be a couple other people trickling in and that is totally okay. And we uh, just want to say thanks. Thank you guys so much for choosing to uh, to spend the next 40-ish minutes or so with us. And uh, we're grateful to have you guys. This is the why technology is irresistible and how you can resist it breakout. And actually, um, before we introduce ourselves, what we are actually going to do. Um, you'll find at the end of each row is a bucket and what you need to do if you're on the end of the aisle pick up that bucket They need to put your cell phone. I don't do this for free. Yes <laughs> We're just taking donations. Um, you need to silence your cell phone and put your cell phone in that bucket now If you have kids in kids ministry, you may want to keep your phone on you. So we understand that tension. That's okay That's the only exception But uh, Let's introduce ourselves real quick. My name is Nate. I am one of the pastors on staff I have the privilege of leading out Webster. I'm a Webster campus pastor I've been a part of groups at Northridge since 2007 and I've had the privilege of being a group's coach since 2011 and as a group coach it allows me to sit under the amazing incredible minds of gentlemen like this to my right your left I'll let him introduce himself you need to meet more people <laughs> <laughs> my name is Brad Files I am not a pastor here nor am I on staff but I have been hanging around groups for a very uh, long time in fact I'm doing the math here. So 1992, that's 26 years ago, Karen and I moved to Chicago. We joined a church there that had groups. Uh, we have four adult children, but our oldest, Nathan, was one year old when we moved out there, and that changed the game entirely for us. It transformed our experience of church. Just to be doing life with other young couples and families, it ruined us. We would never do church without groups again. So if we were part of a church that didn't have groups, we'd start them, but we love groups. And I've been here, Scott and I started coaching early in 2006, so that's 12 years ago, and just so exciting to see groups grow, just be on the front seat of this wild ride, see great coaches added, uh, and I just love to see events like this, where I'm just so pleased to see so many people encourage and equip so effectively. I just, I just think it keeps getting better, so we love groups. Now, <clears throat> we're here tonight to focus on the first of six leader essentials. Um, and that is pursue Christ. So why in the world do we have a breakout on technology when the theme is to pursue Christ? Well, the reason we do is because we live in a distracted world. And in fact, there's nothing new about that. We, the world has always been full of distractions. And thousands of years ago, Jesus had to fight against distractions. There were times he had to get away from the crowds uh, that were following him. He even had to push away from his best friends to fight for time so he could attend to the most important relationship he had with his father. So if Jesus needed to fight for that, what about us as mere mortals? How much more do we need it? And not only that, but to live in an age where we are just uh, deluged by distractions. So for that reason, we are focusing on what we might need to clear out of the way in order to enable us <coughs> to pursue Christ. And the world we live in is really full of industries who are extremely profitable stealing our time. That the more and more of our time they get, the more and more money they make, the more and more competitive they are. That's the world that sure. we live in. 
And I think most of us would agree with that, right? I think we have enough awareness to realize what is out there and how distracted we are personally and the distractions that we see and the people that we lead in our community groups, our friends. Um, but just to help, again, kind of drive this point home and share some perspective and some numbers with you, um, some stats to help us understand this. Um, 91% of phone users keep their phones within three feet of themselves 24 hours a day. Guilty. I am one of the 91%. Um, I've been trying to work hard and doing better, especially when I come home from work, but it's, it's a challenge for me. I, I tend to always have my phone on me some, somewhere close by within, within three, three feet. Uh, here's another stat. Uh, we check our smartphones about 81,500 times every year or once every 4.3 minutes of your waking lives. That means um, in our breakout, you're probably gonna be tempted about 10 different times to check your phones. Maybe you've already felt some phantom texts. Anyone had a phantom? <laughs> I need to check my phone. Oh, it's in the bucket. My phone is three feet, one inches away from me right now. So Yeah, you're good, you're good, Brad. Good job, you're safe. You're okay. You don't want. Um, another one here. Uh, so a recent survey was done of 8,000 Christians about social media routines. 73% said they're more likely in the morning to check email and social media before spiritual disciplines. I'm also <coughs> guilty of Sounds that. Sounds low. Sounds low. Yeah, the other people are just lying. <laughs> just <laughs> um, a book that we're going to be talking about throughout this. Uh, uh, this breakout is actually, we have it here, it'll be a resource. Uh, 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You by, by Tony Renke. Awesome, awesome book. We're going to be talking more about this. But in this book, actually, there's a really uh, thought-provoking, interesting quote. And it says this, that as di digital distractions intrude into our lives at an unprecedented rate, behavioral scientists and psychologists offer statistical proof and study after study, the more addicted you become to your phone, the more prone you are to depression and anxiety, and the less uh, able you are to concentrate at work and sleep at night. And to further illustrate this point, we have a video we wanted to take a look at. Can I borrow someone's phone, please? Anyone? Thank you. Okay, there is a subconscious reaction to these devices when we use them. Okay? What if I were to hold my phone while I'm talking to you? I'm not checking it, it's not buzzing, it's not beeping. I'm not even, I'm nothing. I'm just holding it. Do you feel at this moment that you are the most important thing to me right now? No, you do not. Because there is a subconscious reaction we have to the device. When it is out, it makes the people around us feel that they are less important. So when we're walking down the halls in our offices and somebody says, hey boss, can I ask you a question? You go, sure, what's on your mind? We've just told them they're not that important. Or we can go, sure, what's on your mind? And if you don't have a pocket, find a shelf, put it on the shelf, come back and say, sure, what's on your mind? When we show up to a meeting, or a lunch, or a dinner, with our colleagues, our clients, or our friends, or our families, and we put the phone on the table, we have announced to everyone in the room that they are not that important to us. And by the way, putting the phone upside down, is not more polite. <laughs> My favorite one is with the meeting or at a lunch with someone that the phone will ring and the caller ID will pop up and they will go, I'm not going to get it. Oh, so magnanimous. <laughs> oh, lucky to meet with you today. You can tell how addicted we are. 
When somebody pulls out their phone when you're with them, how uncomfortable does that make us feel? You're walking down the street with someone, they pull their phone out. We feel stupid, so what do we do? We pull our phones out. We're so addicted, somebody goes to the bathroom when we're at dinner, and when we have to sit there by ourselves, God forbid we should look around the room for five minutes. We pull our phones out. Meetings, awful. What do we do when a meeting happens, right? Everybody's sitting, waiting for the meeting to start. Bob's running a few minutes late. Bob's here, okay, start the meeting. Do you know when relationships are built? All that in between time. Thank you very much. So Simon Sinek is talking about a cultural shift that's taking place. And so I, I, I geek out about this stuff, but just trying to think about how has the world changed in the last decade? Well, let's take a look back, um, actually 11 years, uh, and see what were the richest companies by market capitalization uh, 11 years ago. Um, you can see mostly U.S. companies, but other countries uh, slip in there as well. But we have get, you know, oil companies, uh, manufacturing companies, Microsoft technology companies, finance, telecommunications. Um, that's what the world looked like um, 11 years ago, the year that the iPhone was introduced. Fast forward to 2018. So today, what do you think are the richest companies in the world? And actually, it was already in the booklet. But you can rattle them off, right? What are the Amazon, five richest? Amazon, Google, Amazon, Google, Apple, Apple, Facebook. Facebook made the list, yes, and Microsoft, Microsoft, Microsoft's the one that's been around for a long time. But all these others are newcomers, and uh, you can see up here that Apple. So Facebook surged up. Uh, they they their stock price dipped a little bit since then. So I think they're probably number six. But Apple, you can see up there, nine hundred nine billion dollars in cap. Capitalization. They've gone trillion. over a trillion. They've gone over a trillion. Early in August, they were the first U.S. company to go over a trillion. And then just a couple weeks behind them, Amazon tipped over a trillion as well. And then, then fell back a little bit. But what does this say? The five most influential companies the, you know, in the world are all in the same business. Stealing your time. Getting your attention. Either making the gadgets that you hold or the apps that entice you. Um, so, in fact, I love this quote, if we can go back one slide for a second, well, this fine. Um, the iPhone changed the world. This is what Time Magazine said. The editor's Time said, um, named the iPhone the single most influential gadget of all time, saying that it fundamentally changed our relationship to computing and information, a change likely to have repercussions for decades to come. So we are right in the middle of this. It's only 11 years ago that the smartphone even became a phenomenon. And the richest company in the world, how do they make their money? Well, not, you know, MacBooks, 8%, iPad, 7%, but 70% of their revenue comes from iPhones. The richest company in the world, 70% of their revenue, a device that didn't even exist uh, 11 years ago that is extremely enticing. So why do digital distractions lure us so? Why are they enticing? Well, first of all, it's not personal, it's business. I've already said that there is an active industry out there that makes money by stealing our time. Uh, they have a profit motive. If there are billions of users, Google has billions of users, um, another minute or two of your time is extremely valuable to resell to advertisers. So it's not surprising that with essentially unlimited resources to do research to exploit our psychology, that they are changing us over time. Uh, one way they've changed us is in 2000, Microsoft Canada reported that the average human had an attention span of 12 seconds. I'm kind of shocked by that, but, but then we find out by 2013 that number had fallen to eight seconds. 
And according to Microsoft, a goldfish, by comparison, has an average attention span of nine seconds. So we've we slipped behind goldfish <laughs> in our attention span. Uh, another way that we're being changed um, is just, and I'm sorry, so Google, um, it's interesting that back in 2000, I believe, that Google articulated one of its corporate values as don't be evil. And uh, people try to figure out what that means, but there is some, at least, self-reflection, some awareness on part of these companies. What are we going to do with this influence? Uh, Tristan Harris was a product manager at Google, and I think in 2012 he was a designated design ethicist for Google. That they would say, you know, there are ethical and unethical user experiences that we can create. Are we creating unethical user experiences? And the question he would ask himself is, how do you ethically steer the thoughts and actions of two billion people's minds every day? That's not hyperbole. This is over two billion, you know, Google users, mostly through the Android OS. Um, I was reading an article last week um, about a neuroscientist, and she was talk she had talked about her love for literature and her favorite book she, from, she was rereading, and she found it boring and too complex. And she just knew what has happened to my brain, you know, like in the last 15 years, that now what I used to love and could engage with is now too boring you know, too complex. So we're being changed. Um, it's not personal, it's business. Uh, another reason we're lured uh, by digital distractions is we use digital distractions to keep hard things away. It's just too tempting. I mean, who wants to do hard things, right? We procrastinate around hard things. We procrastinate around work deadlines, uh, tough conversations, uh, those laundry piles, uh, school projects or papers, uh, preparing for this talk. Uh, <laughs> um, the average college student wastes 20% of class time tinkering on a digital device doing things unrelated to class. 20% are sitting in a classroom and yet they are that distracted. When life becomes demanding, it's, we crave something and it's just way too tempting to reach for this. Yeah, not only do we use digital distraction to keep hard things away, we use digital distraction to keep people away. Um, and what's interesting is when we think about what God has called us to, what, right, what's, what's the most important commandment that, that we're called to do, right? It's, well, we know, it's from Matthew 22, this is Jesus, and he tells us, we're to love God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your phone as your, no. <laughs> love your neighbor, right? We're called to love others. We're called to love people. But yet so often it's so easy for myself when I'm at home at night or when I'm around others to just retreat into my digital devices and I miss out on opportunities of the people that God has placed around me. In fact, I did this to Brad when we were pre preparing for this breakout. We were out to eat one morning early and we were working on content and I had my phone sitting right on the table at, at the diner <laughs> and it started to buzz and I'm like, I looked at it and I'm like, ah, I'm not going to get it. And I just keep working and then we're working and I was like, Brad, I just did to you <laughs> what we're reading about here. Of like, just this, you're not the most important person. If there could be someone else who is, and that's so normal now. But yet, there are ramifications of that in the way that we interact with the people around us. That's communicating something, and so often for me, I don't even realize what message I'm communicating. That there are just some other things that might be a little bit more important, be more important than being present with you and right, uh, right now. And it's interesting that um, studies are actually showing um, that we are now more, uh, more than ever less likely to associate with the lowly around us. 
we are less likely to meet the needs of people around us, to serve people around us, because we are so focused on ourselves and our devices and what is happening through social media and other people's lives that we miss out on the very real moments and the people around us. And actually, this type of behavior is showing an, an incredible amount of superiority that we demonstrate. Right, because we complain and we get angry and we get upset when we go through our social media feed or we go and we look at what's happening in the world around us, but yet we don't even take advantage of the opportunities of the people that God has placed around us. So we, man, we use digital distractions to, to keep people away. Yeah. We also use digital distractions to keep thoughts of eternity away. Um, I'm seeing a spectrum of ages in this room. I don't know what, it, for me, getting to age 30 wasn't a big deal. Getting to 40 wasn't a big deal. 50 got my attention. I don't know. And it really did cause me to start to think about how short this life really is and more about eternity. And what is it that I will leave behind that matters? What is eternally meaningful? Uh, and yet, when we are continually bombarded and distracted, when we have plenty of stimulus, uh, to fill that void. It compromises our ability to push away and to think deeply about what truly matters. It, it keeps us from thinking about how finite we are, how mortal we are, um, about how <laughs> the great distance between what God desires for us and our own selfish pleasures. I mean, those things are far from us when we're distracted. So that's some of the why. Um, let, let's talk about just some questions that I think can be helpful to us um, when it comes to our level of digital distractedness. Questions that can just help us evaluate and um, just help us understand and see where we're at and what steps that we can take. So one question would be, would be this, does my digital connectedness move me toward God or away from him? So just a general look, take a general assessment of how you interact with technology, whether it's through a tablet, a phone, are you finding that your habits are propelling you towards Christ, or is it neutral, or in fact, are, there, are you actually engaging in things that are actually hurting your relationship with Christ? They're not moving you forward. If anything, um, you're stagnant, or you're, you're, losing, you're losing ground. And I think that's a great question to regularly, honestly, just look at and evaluate and say, okay, how am I doing here? Am I, am I moving towards God? Am I leveraging these incredible tools to grow and pursue Christ, or am I not leveraging that, and am I actually hindering my relationship with Christ? That is a great first commandment question. How is this impacting my relationship with God? A good second commandment question to ask ourselves is, does my digital connectedness edify me and others, or do they build anything of lasting value? I mean, there may be some things built of lasting value. I don't want to dismiss it, but want to carefully consider the percentage. And... Is this helping me be more like Christ? Is it giving me more, more awareness of the needs of others? Is it equipping me to serve others? Is it leaving me enough attention and capacity and bandwidth to <coughs> serve others? Yeah, and then one other question. Does my digital connectedness expose my freedom in Christ or my bondage to technology? Ouch. Yeah, 
Um, John Piper writes, he writes the foreword of this book, and as only John Piper can, he just kind of articulates his thoughts and views on technology. And actually the author, Tony Renke, had a chance to sit down with John Piper and kind of do an interview with him, and he asked John Piper, how does he use technology to fulfill the calling and purpose that God has placed on his life? And, and John Piper was quick to gush over all of the ways that his apps, his Bible software, have fed his soul over the years. And at, at one point, Piper says this, after looking down um, at his laptop, his iPad, and his iPhone, all that were sit they were all sitting on the table in front, of him, in front of him, and he said, I could almost come to tears over how precious they are to me. Yes, they are glowing tools made mostly by men and women who are not submitted to God, and they are tools that open up my life to a thousand convenient temptation, uh, but when used with care and discipline, these tools are a treasure chest of the glories of God. And I love that. And only the way Piper can articulate just, you know, looking at technology, all the things that we all have in front of us, but yet be able to see them as incredible tools that God has given him to help him grow in his relationship with Christ. So really good perspective. And, and I think that's important because, right, it's so easy, Brad, to point out all the negative and all right. of the bad. Right. And maybe we should just... Well, yeah, it's very. We got them all right here. We could take these iPhones and smash them. We could burn them out in the parking lot. Maybe that, you know, that's tough love, do. tough yeah. love. Sorry, guys, we're doing this for you. But uh, yeah, I, I think maybe the Amish had a point, right? Maybe 200 years ago, they saw forward in time to this very day and how dangerous it was. Uh, but uh, I think probably the reality is that the technology, the tools, they are neutral. Um, in fact, uh, again, uh, another Piper quote, but John Piper says, smartphones are dangerous, like marriage and music and fine cuisine or anything else that can become an idol. They're also very useful, like guns and razor blades and medicinal cannabis or lots of other things that can ruin your life. <laughs> so, again, very provocative, but making the point that the tools can be used by the enemy or by God, right? I mean, they can be a powerful, and the reality is that we live, we are called to be missionaries to a digital culture. This is where we live. You can't do your job, you can't interact with others really effectively without engaging with technology. And there is tremendous good to be leveraged, but incredible dangers uh, to be aware of. All right, so we're gonna run through some some tips, some practical how-tos on, on ways that we can put up safeguards, guardrails, or, or boundaries um, when it comes to technology. And understand, we're not asking you to do all of these, but maybe there's one, maybe there's two here that'll be really helpful to you to, to set up some boundaries, to, to gain control um, when it comes to how you use um, uh, technology. So we're gonna run through them quickly. And remember, these are just wise restrictions. We're not advocating total abstinence here. But uh, let's run through these. The first one is just to turn off all non-essential push notifications. Uh, anytime you download an app, you, for the most part, are gonna be automatically set up with notifications. In fact, my son Landon, uh, he uh, recently downloaded a dirt bike app. And uh, I was like, I, I was on my phone, all of a sudden I get pinged. 
you now have fuel in your dirt bike. <laughs> why, why do I need fuel, right? You can only play for so long until it runs out of gas, and then you have to buy more gas, but he knows not to buy more gas. So I'm like, that's, why do I need to be notified of that? So just an example, what are the apps on your phone that aren't essential that just turn those things off again just so you're not distracted by... There's nothing wrong with playing games on your app, but if it's constantly pinging, okay, that might be a simple step you could, you could take. Another boundary, uh, delete expired, non-essential, and time-wasting apps. Um, you do not need every version of Angry Birds that have, has been ever created on your phone. You don't need all those apps. You don't need the Easter version and the, yeah, yeah, the Halloween know. version. Star and the Wars. You Star need Star Wars. That one's okay. That's a good one. But yeah, what are the non-essential time-wasting apps that you can just simply get rid of and delete from your phone? Yeah. Um, and as we move through the thing, I think Nate, you already said it, but you know, don't overwhelm yourself by trying to tackle all yeah. of these. I'm trying to tackle some of these, and whoa, I'm in the middle of this experiment, so it's interesting. Uh, number three, at night, keep your phone out of the bedroom. Um, a lot is being uh, revealed now in recent research about what screen time does to our eyes and how it impacts sleep. Mm -hmm. and, uh, there's a sleep hormone whose productivity is impacted by blue light exposure because that's very unnatural for eyes. So even uh, the Mac OS has instituted an orange shift feature you can use in your settings so that after sunset it goes more orange. But, but maybe just give yourself the discipline of one hour of screen-free time before you go to bed and keep it out of the bedroom. You know, if you're going to read something, maybe read it on paper instead of uh, on your phone before going to bed. Uh, that's the nighttime version. Rule number four is in the morning. So in the morning, how about using a real alarm clock, uh, not your phone alarm, to keep the phone out of your hands in the morning. Uh, perhaps I cheat. I use Alexa. I say, Alexa, wake me up at 6 a.m. And then I'm not faced with a screen, you know, in the morning. But uh, what's your tone? Are you like mad at her? Like when you wake okay. up, are you like Alexa? No, this is snooze. No, or this is this is serious. Karen has chastised me several times for the tone I take with Alexa. She thinks that I am rude. I even heard a story on NPR about the impact on children who hear their parents talking rudely to their digital devices because the kids believe they're people, right? And so they're learning rude behavior. Sorry, that was free. That's. But uh, in the morning, use a real alarm clock, maybe. I, and now, what I, another experiment I did was I. Karen and I were on the third floor at Renovated Attic. It's our bedroom. I said, well, let me keep the phone on the first floor. I'm going to bed. phone doesn't have to go up with me, and I won't get it again until I get downstairs, which is, you know, after all my morning, you know, hygiene routines, everything. What was interesting, what surprised me was how many times I thought about my phone. It was just like, oh, I need to enter my weight in my phone like I do every morning, or I have to check this on the email, or what about, what's the weather forecast, or whatever it was. It was just shocked me how many times I was reaching for my phone and saying, you can wait. After your shower, you're, you're going to get there eventually. You'll get down to the first floor and you can see your phone again. But it's interesting how much it preoccupies our minds. That's good. Number five. Guard your morning disciplines and evening sleep patterns by using phone settings to mute notifications. So this is another benefit of technology, that you can actually use technology to schedule and plan when, when you can mute notifications. So just to give you an example of what this looks like, um, so I have an iPhone and I, I'm, I didn't try this on an Android, but I'm sure it's the same thing. You can go into your settings. If you go to the bottom, you see the do not disturb. If you click on that, you can set a schedule 
for when you are not to be disturbed. So essentially you're muting all of your notifications and you can set that whatever time you want it. So say an hour before bedtime and then, you know, roughly around when you wake up in the morning or, or whenever it is. You can set it to nine, you can set it to 5 a.m. But during that time, you will not be notified of any notifications, emails that come in, Facebook messages, whatever it might be. Um, you do have the option, you know, like if, if you want your kids to call you, you or your parents to call you or whoever is on your favorites list, it gives you a chance to do that. But again, one way to leverage technology to just simply mute those notifications during specific times uh, of your day. Uh, number six, invite people closest to you to offer feedback on your phone habits. Ooh, ouch. Really? You do this? That? I don't, but my wife generously offers feedback. It's okay. She's in this breakout. She's right here. But I'm serious. It has been so helpful. There have been so many times where Emma's like, man, what's going on? You just seem more into your phone this week than normal. And it's always like, oh, man, you're right. Uh, I know I need to do a better job. But even that little comment helps me understand where I need to be and what's most important to me. And I would encourage you, have enough humility to ask the people closest to you to say, hey, give me your open, honest, I'm not going to even, I won't try to defend it, but just what have you observed about the way I interact with and engage with technology? It could be really revealing and, and, and helpful uh, to having good habits and building healthy boundaries and habits. Right. Number seven, uh, recognize that much of what you respond to quickly can wait. Okay, respond at a later, more convenient time. Oh, the president just tweeted. I'm sure that's important. Let me check it out. You know, I, it's just, you know, you're, it's, I've had a low filter, right, for what's important. Ping, ping, you know. It really does drive me nuts when my wife's iPad just, like, beeps with Facebook notifications all night long. I mean, it's, they, 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 they get less frequent after a time. But what we, these notifications, just realize that, and I'm so guilty of it, you know, just like always looking at my phone. It beeped, it must be important. No, not necessarily. Uh, it can wait. Um, I might make a comment later, but uh, a book by Cal Newport called Deep Work just talks about how deadly, you know, the distractions are to our productivity, to our ability to think, to our ability to concentrate and get significant work done. So a lot of what you hear, a lot of what you're notified on can wait. Uh, number eight, even if you need to read emails on your smartphone, use strategic points during the day to respond to emails at a computer. Uh, maybe you want to spend 9 a.m. Actually, I have negotiated this with my workers and coworkers and supervisor is to say, you know, I'm going to check email at 9 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. each day. If you need to get a hold of me more frequently than that, that's fine. You can IM me, you can walk over my cube or something like that, but twice a day, you know, I'll, I'll check and catch up on email instead of being continually, you know, death by a thousand paper cuts of emails. You know, <laughs> um, yeah, so. All right, number nine. Shows up. When eating with people, leave your phone out of sight. Um, this is huge and so simple. If you're going out to eat and, you know, you leave, you're able to leave your phone in the car if that's possible, or once you get home, you simply have a special place to put your phone. That's one of the things I've been trying to do. We have kind of like a countertop behind our, our sink. And so when I come home, I do my best to get my phone out of my pocket and get it up on that counter so it's off of me. Does this mean we have to give them food because we collected their phones? Yes. <laughs> There's some more garbage plates, I think, left. Ooh. Old, old garbage plate is good. Yeah. Um, so another example of this, actually, Chick-fil-A is here in town. Any of you heard of the family challenge? Coop, you guys heard of this? This is really cool. It's what Chick-fil-A is doing to help 
help families not only enjoy great food together, but great connection time over a meal together. And here's how it works. So when you go to the, the cashier to get your food, you say, hey, we wanna do the family challenge. They'll give you one of these cell phone coops. And so everyone in your party, when you sit down to eat, you're to put your phones on silent and everyone puts their phone inside of this box and you seal it up and then you enjoy your food and you enjoy a time uh, distraction free with uh, the people in your group. And then when you are done, you go back up to the register and you let them know you completed the challenge and everyone gets a free ice cream cone. That's not the only reason to do it, no. No? It's still good, it's still valuable, even without, even without the ice cream. Um, but yeah, is there a way to get your phone out of sight when you're engaging in, in, in having, having food, spending time with people? Number 10, at strategic moments, digitally detox your life and recalibrate your ultimate priorities. This is so helpful and can be so important. In fact, what's interesting is there have been new terms that have been coined within the last several years. Um, phrases like digital Sabbaths and digital sabbaticals, right? Like where were those terms like seven or eight years ago? And now it's like, oh man, we gotta set aside those regular times, which is really good and helpful to do, to just unplug, to detox. So the idea of a Sabbath being, what is it on a weekly basis? Is there, is there a time in your week that you recover, you know, to, to pull away from your digital connectedness? And sabbaticals, maybe on an annual basis, there's an extended period of time that you get to take advantage of. Yeah, so many words, binge watching, when, when did, that's that. <laughs> right, but it is deadly, I incur it. Um, so, in closing, we have gone through this entire breakout without telling you one single positive activity you can do to pursue Christ. But sometimes the reason we've done that is, well, number one, I want to give a shout out to the other breakout. So uh, in case you're filled with regret, they are on audio. You can listen to them later. And let me highlight, uh, Aaron Hickson did one, I think, what's it called, The Best Thing I Ever Did to Grow Spiritually? Yeah, it's all about journaling. All about journaling. So his is the anti-digital breakout, you know, just talking about how he uses paper and time away from digital uh, technology to grow spiritually. But the reason we haven't talked about the positive activities that we can do to pursue Christ is because so many times, I know it's true for me, it's I know what I need to do. I can say, hey, beginning of every trimester, we're setting these spiritual goals, and I'm going to pray more, I'm going to read my Bible more, and then come to the end of the trimester, it didn't happen. Why didn't it happen? I knew what I needed to do. Why didn't I do it? Maybe I didn't do it because I was assaulted with all these distractions between me and it. So what we have focused on tonight is getting intentional about clearing away those distractions that can sabotage your intention to pursue Christ. So a couple resources. Uh, we've been talking about this book all night. I totally encourage you to, to check this out, 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You. Full of great, great stuff, great content, and super practical. Very thoughtful, too. It's very challenging to think through. Yeah, really, really good. Um, it wouldn't be a tech breakout uh, if we didn't give you an app. Um, so there's an app called Moment, and literally what this app does is it tracks your screen time. It tracks yeah, I know. How, how much time you spend on your phone. And, and, uh, Believe me, it is even how many times you pick it up. Like, it's very revealing. Yeah. And actually, how stuff, revealing is it, Nate? Well, we'll get to that in a minute. But what's interesting, why I love this, so Brad and I, we, we did this, and we're going to tell you about this in a second. But um, uh, studies show people will actually, um, they, uh, they estimate 50% low on what their actual screen times are. So if I'm like, eh, probably an hour, it's usually two hours. Mm -hmm. I thought two hours, 
So we'll see what happens. So Brad and I, we, we've been doing this for the last little while. And uh, you can see our, our screen times on uh, here. Something happened, Brad. I don't know. I mine, mine stopped working. Nate's uh, story. Week. This is Nate's story. Somehow the data disappeared after this point. Okay. <laughs> He supposedly uh, lost track of the data. Brad is the line. I am. I'm, I'm the bar blind. Guy. So and it's Brad. We got some issues. I mean, it's bro. horrible. It's we horrible. Gotta... Oh no, I've got problems. So I mean, that, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, there were some really cool, there were some really cool shows on Hulu. You know, that just then you come up for air and it's just like, whoa, what happened there? But this is. This is when I realized four days before the breakout, I would have to be. <laughs> so, so there we go. But it's painfully revealing to see what happens there. But it is, it is helpful. If you want a frank look at, at how you use your phones, just download the Moment app and it will, it will track how many times. It doesn't include phone calls. Right, music, listening to music, and music, phone calls, it's not included. Yeah, that. it's literally any, anything other. Binge watching is included. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, awesome. So we got like five, five minutes, but we'd love to do our best to answer any questions or just hear what's been helpful to you. We are, we are not experts on this. We are right alongside of you guys and trying to, uh, to do better at, at using these these tools to honor God and grow and pursue Christ, but we got a long way to go. But what questions do you have? What things have you found to be helpful? We want to turn it over uh, to you guys. And while we do this, feel free to start passing the buckets out too so you can get your, your phones too. Get your blood pressure back down. Yeah. And you get an upgrade too. This is a chance to upgrade your phone. So. I have a question. Yes. Oh, you know, we didn't even talk about that. It was oh, interesting because yeah. we did mention that. So, I mean, we've been focused on phones because that really is the focus of so much. But obviously, you know, streaming, it was funny. I My first iPhone I bought used from Chris Burry. It was an uh, iPhone 4S, you know, a while ago. And uh, and he mentioned, like, watching movies on it. And I said, I said, um, I don't think I can't imagine watching a movie on my phone. And he said, "You'd be surprised," and I was surprised. <laughs> but there are so many other ways to be distracted. So we talked about streaming, but also, yeah, the watches—you can put your phone away, and still those messages and texts are coming through, you know, there or whatever. Or I'm just obsessively looking. Did I get 250 steps this hour or not? You know, watching this thing, all those other things to be connected. Or I don't know what other confession you had. No, yeah, that, that was it. I, but I did find that. I don't really have that big of a problem with like calls and texts. Mm -hmm. I've actually left my phone places for 12 hours at a time and been fine without it. But it just shows me how often I'm like shopping on Amazon mm -hmm. and like everything else. Right. Oh, way too easy. Because if it's not there, I don't really miss it that much. But if it's there, it's like I'm always on it. Yeah. 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 Just throw it away. Graham. Do you guys know if you can delete Safari on an, on an iPhone? This might be a dumb question, but. Um, Mark, you can just because it's a web browser, unless anyone else smarter than me knows. I don't think you can. You can. Really? Is it because it's an Apple? Apple keeps Apple. Yeah. You know what's interesting is, actually, I just, because I was applying some of these lessons, I went through and started deleting non-essential apps. I'm pretty sure I could delete apps I couldn't delete before. Like Apple Maps, I didn't think I could delete before, but now I can. Is that really? It? But um, and uh, there were some other Apple. There were some things like Wallet I couldn't delete. But but there are some. I think Apple may have opened it up where they're letting you delete some of their apps. 
now. But uh, I don't know. We could. That's a good question. I'm not going to touch my phone. I'm try. But you could try to delete Safari right now. I think Safari is one of those core ones. Yeah, it might not let you. Okay. But I do think that you can move it to like the fourth screen and put it inside a folder, inside a folder, inside a folder. Right. Yes. Yeah, um, so there's a couple of books um, on the topic of distractedness from a secular perspective. So we mentioned, uh, I quoted Adam Alter's book, Irresistible. That was written last year. I read it last year, and it's got like the horror stories of the Warcraft people who are found in their apartments with six months of pizza boxes, you know. But not only that, but a lot of um, more normal kind of uh, bondage. <laughs> you know, that we experience. But Cal Newport's book, I like Cal Newport, um, again, secular author, but the subtitle is Rules for Focused Success in a Distracted World. And really all of this can be applied to our efforts spiritually as well, but he's really focused on, you know, how do you get anything of significance done when you're pinged all the time? And one of the points he makes is, you do not realize how hard it is to recover attention once it's been interrupted. So you just say, well, I'm just checking my email. I'm just checking my email. Every time you do, your intellectual capacity has dropped. And it takes, I can't remember what he says, 30 seconds, 90 seconds, to get back to where you were in terms of concentration. But this is a very helpful book, too, also practical that I liked. So, secular. Uh, if you're going to read one book, I would, I would steer you this way because it's got a great spiritual perspective. <coughs> So I, I got a ticket for texting and driving recently. Oh. And um, it was actually Am I supposed a great to confess experience. that I did too? <laughs> no. It was actually a great experience because I went I had to take this distracted driving course mm -hmm. and the whole thing like really blew my mind. Very sobering. Very sobering. Yeah. But the, my best takeaway was what you referred to, Nate, with the do not disturb thing. And now I'm like addicted to the do not disturb <coughs> thing. Like whenever I'm gonna do anything, I just turn my phone on do not disturb and it, right. I can't believe how much more brain capacity that I have. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like amazed at how right. much I've been addicted to my phone, and mm -hmm. it's been really helpful for me. And there, like there, like you said, there are times that you can set on it, you, and it's just the best tool. If you don't, yeah. if you haven't used it, I just want to encourage everybody to use that. And there's a feature on there that you can turn on where the phone knows when you're driving and automatically puts right. it in the do not disturb when you're driving, and it's just been a great tool for me. Is uh, yours iPhone or Android? iPhone. iPhone, yep. Uh, does the Android also not, it also turns off notifications when you're driving if yep. you take advantage of that setting? Yep. yep. Definitely. That for safety alone, take advantage of that setting. Okay. The rest of it for we will be done because it's like 7.15ish, maybe a little over, and we want to honor your time. We'll hang out if you have yeah, any questions. But guys, thanks so much for spending part of your time with us this evening. We appreciate you. Yeah.